Amen. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And if you don't have one, that's okay. There's one in front of you, and you can turn to page 1,472, and you'll be at Matthew chapter 4. 1,472 in the Bibles in front of you. And I'm excited. This is, uh, this is the first, going to be the first week of a nine-week series focusing on the first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to kick that off today, and I'm going to encourage you uh, to read through this each week so that you can familiarize yourself with this section of Scripture. And if you want a really good challenge, in nine weeks, I would challenge you to memorize Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. And as we apply Scripture to memory, as we uh, continuously go over that, it allows us to meditate on that, to think over these things. And my prayer is that as we do that together, that we could challenge each other with these truths we're going to be in each week for the next nine weeks. All right? Now, I brought this with me. Some of you are already scared. Is he going to take my picture? How many of you are, I'm just curious, how many of you are people that would say, I do not like my picture being taken? How many of you? Oh, see, more and more keep raising their hands. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you, I would imagine this is a lot more, prefer to take pictures all the time? Like if you were to go on your computer, your phone, you have hundreds or thousands of pictures, sometimes five of the same image. How, how many of you are those people? Be honest. Okay. My wife and I have that discussion all the time because when I upload all my pictures to the computer, it's like 150 and then I go to hers and it's 400. And so we're, we're that way. We know that difference. But something so interesting, and the reason I brought this, has nothing to do with taking your picture this morning. I'm not going to do that. But everything to do with how this works. Now, I'm someone who really enjoys, when I, when I see something mechanical or I see how something moves, I want to know, how does this work? How does this function? How does, how does someone point this at something push a button and all of a sudden you have an image that is now permanently there for you to view. And it's really amazing because as you look through the viewfinder on a camera, what you're seeing is the light that is reflected off of these objects that creates an image that you see. And whenever you push the shutter button on this, it breaks that image up into tiny little pixels and implants it onto the memory of that device so that you can see it. However, if any of you have done any studies or you enjoy photography and getting high-quality pictures, you know there's a lot more that goes on and a lot more settings you can adjust to change how that image result comes out. One of those settings is called aperture, or really it's the amount of exposure and the length of exposure to the light that's coming into the lens. And if I open that wider and expose it to the light longer, the picture comes out brighter. And it's a trick within the photography trade that you want to get that setting just right, depending on the lighting situation you're in, so that the image quality that comes out on the other side is the best it can possibly be. Now, the interesting thing about this and the correlation we're going to tie this morning is that in the same way 
when we come to Scripture, when we come to the Bible, when we come to the commands of Christ, we often reflect and model only as much as the amount of exposure we have given to this truth. We only reflect the image that comes out that's produced for everyone else to see is limited to the amount of time we spend and the width and the breadth of which we reflect upon those very truths. Now the practical definition of exposure, as we think about that this morning, is the state of being laid open to view. But it goes beyond that. Not only laid open to view, to danger or to any inconvenience. Now if we stop and think about the reality of that... Most of us, based on this definition, would go, whoa, 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 I don't want to expose myself at all. Especially if it includes danger or, God forbid, inconvenience. So the question arises this morning, what do people see when they are exposed to you? What do people see when they're exposed to you? What does my daily walk reveal about the condition of my heart? Over the next nine weeks, we're going to spend time looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 4, which is where we're going to start, we're going to start there to kind of set the scene For Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which extends from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, but his ministry starts in chapter 4. So that's where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 12 and read through to the end of the chapter. Just to give us a background here, and it paints a picture for us of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 12 says this, Now when he had heard, he being Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he it quotes this, this prophecy out of Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him 
all the sick, those afflicted the various, with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, there's a lot here. There's a lot packed into this. And I, I don't want to go into every specific detail of this because we would be here for a couple of weeks. All right? But what I do want to highlight is Jesus' focus within his ministry. As we see him starting this, as we see him getting going, you see very clearly that what he said and what he did exposed who he was and what he was about. And if you have any question about that, if jot these passages down. In John chapter 4, verse 34... Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, the context of that, Jesus is sitting with the woman at the well and the disciples come back and they say, has anyone even fed Jesus? And that's when Jesus quotes this saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In a similar way, in John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, some of you here today may be here out of curiosity. You're wondering, what is this really all about? Why do these people come here? Why do they gather together? Why do they care what this book says? And if that's you today, and you're not sure where you stand, and you're not sure how to process all of this, then the message here is... Just this, that Jesus came, that everyone who looks on him and believes in him should have eternal life. And we're going to go into a lot of other things, and it might cause you to go, whoa, hold on, back up. I I don't even understand the basics of this. And what I want to encourage you with today is the thing you need to wrestle with most is what do you believe about eternity? Do you have confidence in that? And if not, that's where you need to focus today. And you need to ask the question, who is Jesus and why should I care? And to understand the truth that the reason Jesus came is just that, that you might have life. And so if that's you today and you're not sure where you sit, your message this morning is Jesus came for you, that you might have life. And he desires that you would believe that he came and died and conquered death, rising again for you. Now, for the rest of you, those of you who for years maybe, you say, I follow Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. There's much more growth for us today. And as we step into this exhortation, the question we're going to be asking ourselves is this. How does an ordinary person like me expose those around me to the glory of the one who saved me? How does an ordinary person like me expose those around me 
to the glory of the one who saved me. Day after day, week after week, this is the question I want us to ask. This is a question that can really be answered if you read through all of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the whole thing. But to focus in on that and read just that. And before we read now our main text for today in Matthew chapter 5, I just want us to stop and pray and commit this series and especially this question of how, how does an ordinary person like me expose those around me to the glory of the one who saved me. So let's pause a minute and let's commit this to God and pray, pray to him. Father, we recognize no matter how long we've claimed to follow you that we are imperfect. And Lord, it's so easy for us to gather here today and to get excited about your word and get excited about what you've told us to be challenged in this. But Lord, forgive us for the weeks that today is the only day that that's our attitude. Lord, that we would see clearly that this is a message of life. Not just life on Sunday, but life day in and day out. Life for the broken, life for the hurting, life for those who don't know where to turn. That we would come to this place this morning, even in the midst of the weight and the challenge of handling this correctly with truth, we pray that your Spirit would work among us to challenge us and equip us for the days ahead. That you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, let's start. We're going to start in verse 1 together. And we're going to read through verse 16 today, even though we're going to focus on 1 through 12 in the coming weeks. And then I want to give you two specific challenges as we think about coming to this, this text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you caught that last verse, then it should be fairly easy for us to answer that question. How does an ordinary person like me expose those around me to the glory of the one who saved me? It's when all that I do and all that I am glorifies and that, that might seem like a simple answer. Well, okay, what does that look like? It means when we come to any situation, any circumstance, when we come to a place of asking, what am I supposed to do here? We come back to a first question of going, will my response to this bring glory to myself or will it bring glory to God? Who am I seeking to glorify day after day? Who am I seeking to push forward as a priority? What am I seeking to glorify? Those are all questions we can ask to determine that. But if we're really honing in on how we can expose people to the glory of the one who saved us, we have to start by recognizing that if I really want people to see Jesus in me, everything I do, everything I say, has to come back to a focus on glorifying Him. So how do we do that? Where do we start? The first thing I want to challenge you with is you need to come to Jesus ready to listen. Come to Jesus ready to listen. In verses 1 and 2 here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, there's truth in the simplicity that these disciples were following Jesus. They were learning from him. They had a desire to grow with him. So, of course, as he went, they came. But where we fall short is when we consider and we convince ourselves that, well, it it was easy to follow Jesus when he was right there. When I could just walk alongside of him or see what he was doing, where he was going. How many of you honestly would have told yourself or thought this in your mind, it would be way easier to follow you, Jesus, if I could see you. Don't be ashamed. How many of you have thought that? I've thought that. I have had that struggle. There's days I still have that struggle. You know what, God? It would be way easier if I could just see, if I could see you, and I could follow you like the disciples did. And yet, if you do any amount of study on the disciples, you would know, even with Jesus right there, They still didn't get it a lot of times. And yet, Jesus chose to use these men to further his kingdom on earth. And he desires to do the same with us. But when we come to him, when we come to Jesus, are we really ready to listen? There's a story that's told of Franklin Roosevelt who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that no one really paid any attention to what he said. So one day, during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. And to each person who passed down the line, he shook his hand and, and murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests responded with phrases like, Marvelous! Keep up the good work! We're proud of you. And even God bless you, sir. 
It was not until the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. The ambassador leaned over, not phased at all, and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. In a similar sense, another quote that is very good on this subject of listening, good listening is like tuning in a radio station. For good results, you can listen to only one station at a time. Trying to listen to my wife while looking in over an office report is like trying to receive two radio stations at the same time. I end up with distortion and frustration. And here's, here's the big deal. Listening requires a choice of where I place my attention. To tune into my wife or my friend or someone else, I must first choose to put away all that will divide my attention. That might mean laying down the newspaper or putting the phone down or moving away from the dishes in the sink, putting down the book I'm reading or setting aside projects. And the reality we come to in that is there is a difference between those who come to hear and those who come to listen. There is a difference, listen to this, there is a difference between those who come to hear and those who come to listen. Those who are not willing to listen in Scripture were oftentimes those who claimed to be the most religious. As we look at the Pharisees and we look at these guys who had studied the Scriptures, and you consider that even when Jesus was born, And the kings came to consult and ask, where is this king to be born? There were scribes and religious leaders who pinpointed and said, he's to be born here. They were in proximity to the birth of the Messiah. And yet it was all knowledge. And they weren't truly listening. And they missed it. They missed the opportunity for God to move in powerful ways. They missed the opportunity to walk and see Jesus accomplish His purposes. And yet, they were often esteemed as the highest in that way. How many of us would say, I have followed Jesus for years and years, I'm good. And we come and we hear, but we aren't listening. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Is your listening producing action that glorifies God? Or are we just hearing and we're affirming and saying, Oh, that's great. This is exciting. Yes, Jesus said this. This is what we're supposed to do. I hear it. But I ask you, are you listening? But don't just come to Jesus ready to listen. The second challenge for us as we think about the next nine weeks and these Beatitudes and Jesus teaching is we have to come to Jesus ready to change. Come to Jesus ready to change. If you've ever read through the whole of the, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, chap- Matthew chapter 5 through 7, 
you would recognize these phrases consistently. You have heard that it was said. And then he follows it up. But I say to you. You've heard that it was said this. You may be so ingrained, so convinced, so formed in your way of this is how I've always done this. This is where I'm most comfortable. And Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, this. And see, we can come ready to listen, but sometimes, and I'm sure many of you parents could relate with this, you might listen or hear, but you're not ready to change. And if you've ever had toddlers in your house, you could understand the tension that exists with this. You know that they heard what you said, but there is no desire for them to change whatsoever how they think. And whether we recognize it or not, most of the time you and I tend to operate like spiritual toddlers. And we hear these things, we listen, but I don't want to change because it's painful or it's not what I want. And so we root ourselves in, we plant our feet, and we stay right where we are. And then we ask the question, God, why don't I feel this richness in my life? Why don't I feel like your presence is close? Why don't I seem to know where to turn when things happen to me? It's because I may be hearing these things. I may even be convincing myself I'm listening, but I don't want to change. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'd encourage you, put, put your finger in Matthew chapter 5. And flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. There's a group of people here, the church at Corinth, who Paul had worked with consistently. And I tell you what, they were struggling to want to change. And the culture around them was saying one thing, and the truth of what Paul had proclaimed to them was saying something completely different. And so Paul wrote two letters to them to encourage them, hey, remember what you've been taught. Remember these things. Don't fall back into these patterns. These patterns shaped by the world, not by what God desires for your life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he gives one of the most powerful reminders to the church. When he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. Listen to verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
Now, if he were to stop at verse 10, this would be a very discouraging passage of Scripture. Because if we look across our life in the same way that Paul was desiring the Corinthian church to look at themselves and go, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in the midst of all of this, he comes back to a place and says, you, such were some of you who were living in this unrighteousness, living in contrary to what God desires. And then he comes back to the center of the gospel. You were washed. You were sanctified. That means set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. There's conviction in the reality that to Paul's audience, these describe semblances of a past life. A life ingrained in these things as the only outlet before Christ. This is not saying that there won't be temptation or trip-ups in the life of a follower of Jesus, but rather a reminder that you have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. The darkness that once was has encountered the light. So often, we come to Jesus with our exposure setting limited. We get just enough to see a grainy image of who Jesus is and who we are called to be, but we never open up the aperture wide enough and extend that time long enough to gain full exposure to the life-transforming power of the gospel. When we limit our exposure to Christ, how can we expect to reflect His light to those around us? How can we expect our hearts to be changed by something that we limit in our own lives? Church, this is a challenge for us. This is a deep-rooted, deep-seated challenge for each one of you. And I include myself in this because it's so easy for us to get distracted It's so easy for us to fix our eyes on anything and everything except Jesus. And that doesn't just happen in our individual lives. It happens so easily when we gather together here and our eyes become fixed on little details of things that just drive us nuts. And God forbid... That for some reason, things don't go the way I think they should. And so, it causes me to separate myself from anything to do with the truth of Scripture. How often we allow our own selfishness, our own pride, to get in the way. To block the exposure to Jesus. And God forbid that you guys come here and you see me and not the cross. Because if it's all about what we desire, we're never going to reach the point at which we see clearly who Jesus has called us to be. We have to come ready to listen. 
We have to come ready to change. And the application of this is we have to go out ready to shine. Many of you recognize in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Some of you may have even memorized it. Others of you, it may be new to you, yet the message is so clear. You are the salt of the earth. Now remember, Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. And yes, the crowds were probably listening in. But by verses 1 and 2, it says, They came to him. And verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying these things. So I want you to listen to this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste or its flavor, how shall its saltiness be restored? The short answer, it won't. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out on the ground and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way. Listen to this, church. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Philippians chapter 2 emphasizes this even more when it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Something that I often challenged my students with when we were in Oregon is I reminded them that when you walk into a room that is lit up, if you brought in a can of darkness and opened it, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing's going to happen. You can't walk into a room and open up a can of darkness and all of a sudden the whole room goes dark. Because the light overpowers If we can go from this place and shine the light of Jesus because we've been exposed, we've listened, we've desired to be changed, and we're exposing this community, this world, to the light of Jesus, the darkness cannot overcome it. Understand that you are tasked, those of you who are followers of Jesus, are tasked with making the grace of God visible to those whom it is invisible. You are tasked with making the grace of God visible to a world that so desperately needs the light of Jesus. So in practical situations, what does this look like? To shine the light of Jesus, to go out ready to shine. I'm going to give you just a few. You're at a usual gathering of friends and someone starts talking about another individual who's not present. 
You choose to listen and not say anything. In that moment, are you reflecting the light of Christ? Another scenario. You're on your way to work in the morning and someone cuts you off. Endangering you and any passengers that are with you. You respond accordingly. In that moment, are you reflecting the light of Jesus? Yet another situation, much more prominent. You're engaged in a politically motivated conversation, and someone confronts you from a viewpoint that is starkly opposed to yours. Are your thoughts and actions that follow a reflection of Jesus? Believed by many to be truth, there's a mythical story about a lighthouse that makes a great point. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. He immediately told his signalman to send a message, alter your course ten degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course ten degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course ten degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course ten degrees north. I am a seaman, third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course ten degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came. Alter your course ten degrees north. I am a lighthouse. In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night. Telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives, and yet out of the darkness. One voice signals something quite opposite to the rest. Something sometimes almost absurd. But the voice happens to be the light of the world. And we ignore it at our peril. Church, my prayer for us as we dive into this section of Scripture in the coming weeks is that you would be challenged in your own walk of faith, that you would take a step back from the normal response that we have and critically evaluate what you as a follower of Christ are reflecting. And maybe you're here today and you go back to the beginning of this message and you say, I'm, I'm not sure who Jesus is. And so your challenge today is to discover that answer to that question. Who is Jesus and why should I care? what you'll recognize the more you do that study is that Jesus was an individual sent from God that you might have life. And he died for you. He suffered on your behalf taking upon himself this your sin and then rising again from death to show you that he can conquer over that very thing and give you life. And for all of us, that we can seek to walk together, seeking to be, to be listeners, and not only listen, 
but be changed by the life and words of Jesus himself in a way that those around us may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that we often come and hear but fail to listen and be changed. And so in the same way that you challenged your disciples as you started into the Sermon on the Mount and challenged the condition of their heart and what was really going on, I pray that you would challenge us in the same way this week. Lord, that you would reveal to us all those things in our life that we put as a higher priority, that you would bring to light the areas that we have hidden in the darkness. And that we would come to desire to walk in step, to reflect you. Expose us to all that you are. Lay us open before you that we might seek to glorify you. So that everyone around us would see the light and the hope of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Church, I want to release you with this challenge today from Colossians 3. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thank, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great week.